one of our special featurette from the African Intel Affairs podcast. My name is Pilani Lamini, and I am the host of this series. I'm very happy to be joined by my co-host, Buki Olokun. For those of you who are unfamiliar with my colleague, Buki is a security practitioner who focuses on intelligence in Africa. She received her master's degree in international security from the Patterson School of Diplomacy at the University of Kentucky. She has experience as a regional analyst in both the public and private sectors and is a member of the African Intelligence Studies Collective. This featurette is a roundtable discussion on intelligence tradecraft in Africa, focusing on issues of politics, professionalism, and privatization with Dr. Dalene Duvenage as our guest expert. Dr. Duvenage is a practicing academic who has 10 years of experience as an intelligence analyst in the South African Secret Service and nine years as a trainer and learning development specialist in both the South African Intelligence Academy and South Africa's National Intelligence Agency. She left the agency in 2007 to start her own training and consulting business, which provided training in intelligence and crime analysis to over 70 clients in the government and private sectors across Africa. For the last seven years, she has continued her academic interest in security and intelligence on a part-time basis, while acquiring her practical experience in the private sector through setting up and managing an intelligence analysis unit and she holds a professional doctorate in security risk management from the University of Portsmouth. Although she is not a full-time academic, she continues to author academic literature on intelligence affairs and has recently been appointed as a senior research fellow at Buckingham University's Center for Security and Intelligence Studies for her work and articles on intelligence analysis. Without further ado, um, I would like to hand over the mantle to my co-host Bukia Lokun, who will waste no time whatsoever and dive right into the first question. So we have the issue of, and I don't want to get political here, but the issue of um, what we consider to be bad governance um, across a number of African countries um, and globally, but obviously for this um, specific um, purpose, we're talking about African countries. Um, how would you say that has had an impact on intelligence in the region? How does, um, governance affect intelligence, particularly for, you know, from a, from a national security standpoint in this case? Um, political interference and politicking and um, all the bad things that go with that kind of bad governance um, has um, I try to get the right English word now. In Afrikaans, we have a word to say, lamgele. It means that um, uh, intelligence is a lame duck. Um, well, our, um, you know, all the things that have come out in, the, in recent years in terms of 
um, using the intelligence agency for own personal um, um, interest as well as party political interest um, has done intelligence as a discipline and as a profession um, not good. Um, and unfortunately, this this uh, bad governance makes the ideal of professionalizing intelligence um, very difficult in an African context. Um, the reason being that when you professionalize intelligence officers, meaning they, they um, adhere to the constitution, they adhere to the legal mandates, and they are willing and able um, to disregard uh, illegal um, or unlawful um, instruction from their um, superiors um, will just make things, um, uh, is just not going to happen, I see, at least in our lifetimes. The reason, main reason being that the more professional your intelligence officers are, the more you must be willing to hear things that you don't want to hear. Um, and for that matter is, um, you know, I've been in the training environment now for 20 years within intelligence. And um, the lack of intelligence training, um, I'm not even talking about basic um, research methodology, basic collection, but, you know, um, specialized kind of training is just not taking place. Um, so you sit with a, a, a whole um, um, generation of people that it's you know sort of my age and a bit younger, um, and then you have this big gap with people coming in that were brought in also on personal preferences that did not go through proper recruitment process. Um, so yes, it's difficult. I don't see. Unfortunately, this is bad news. Um, but I don't see things happening or changing in the professionalization of intelligence on the continent unless you get a major um, um, political and, um, can I even say, moral uh, regeneration of the leadership. Um, and I'm not too optimistic about that, unfortunately. <laughs> yes. Um... I think in terms of leadership on the African continent, um, we do have a long way to go, but I think we, we are moving in the right direction, very slowly maybe, but um, hopefully in, you know, like you said, uh, the next generation or something, we will see better um, governance and as a result, um, better security and better intelligence um, so as a follow-up question to that, though, would you say privatization solves that issue? Um, does private sector intelligence then come in and fill that gap where they're actually able to accurately um, present intelligence as is, where they're not um, influenced to tell leaders um, what they want to hear or provide information that they think is um, going to be beneficial to them or to their cause, and they just provide intelligence as is? I don't think so. I think what we have um, is two parallel um, structures or um, organisms. 
remember each one has actually has a different mandate whether you agree with that mandate or whether you agree whatever your constitution say is the responsibility of intelligence agencies but my experience in the private sector is they have one interest and that one interest is their own uh, profit and the safety of their own people um, so that that is that kind of private security if uh, or private intelligence if we talk about private intelligence something like um you know um i'm not going to name names here but in the african context mostly most of these private intelligence agencies are anyway being um, recruited or used by the governments to provide them with what kind of security risk or ec economic risk kind of analysis which is um which is unfortunate but this shows just in terms of how they don't trust their own intelligence of uh, capacity in the intelligence organization so the reason is or so the, the the solution for me is um again we talk about governance if if you are serious about your country's constitution if you're a constitutionalist like i am then you, you, your first priority must be to train and educate your intelligence officers so that they can become the best they could be there is a place for private intelligence because they, they sometimes have access to people and things that other people don't have um, but I have, unfortunately, South African, and I think if you go a bit north, I've seen too many instances where um, private intelligence organizations or companies who sell their access to people usually of little, um, uh, people of very low moral grounding, um, they then become, those private intelligence organizations just become another stakeholder or role play within the bigger political risk um, arena so i don't have um, experience of those kinds of let's call it the executive outcomes of this world you know these people that um that pushes um uh, military coups etc political coups etc so the private intelligence that we are talking about is a, a company that has their own within either their own security environment or the risk department or even the strategic department where they deal with intelligence in terms of protecting their own interest awesome yeah um, i i think i think that all makes perfect sense um what you, what you said about you know the private sector in this case being um intelligence that affects your your organization and your employees and your structure and not um, the the overlap um, in that sense between the private and the the, the government sector is um, almost non-existent in a sense I, I think what I what I can add Buki is um, what has become a big frustration uh, for many um, organizations like um, my company um, that are doing a, a risk analysis for um, for the, for our company is that when we identify or when we do an investigation um, 
and we hand it over to the government departments that are supposed to do the um, the prosecution, etc., or the further investigation because we don't have the legal mandate and also not the resources to go further. For instance, in a in a large cyber espionage kind of um, scenario, that they don't do anything because um, it's either not part of their abilities to do something like that, which is scary. Again, we're talking about the ability and competency of uh, the people that are supposed to protect our countries um, and the people living in uh, on the continent. Um, but they, they also, um, it's not political expedient for them um, to, to do anything about these cases. And so for us, um, you know, um, this is really frustrating. Um, so unfortunately at this stage it looks as if the intelligence organizations i think for most of the african countries um, has become a political tool and has is not anymore a national security asset that are there to um, make sure that the people um, are safe and secure and that they have the right to live um, in a decent environment um, and community. So that's, that is my experience. So we, we've talked, we've talked a lot about the negatives and I don't want this to seem like, um, an bashing. <laughs> you know, um, even though I think everything we have said, we are again, just trying to say things as they are, um, which is absolutely crucial and absolutely essential and necessary. But in your experience, what are some positive things? What are some good things that you have experienced in um, intelligence in, in, the, in either the private sector or national security in Africa? Thank you, uh, Buki, for reminding me there's always a silver lining to every dark cloud. Um, and the silver lining definitely is by far most the type of people that I met, um, the, the type of intelligence officials across the board in all the African countries that I've especially trained, but also in my, in my previous life as an intelligence analyst um, in the national security. Um, people, these people have a tenacity Sometimes I don't know whether it's um, stupidity or whatever, but a tenacity to just keep on doing their job because they believe in it. And I think that was one of the main, um, the main lessons I've learned um, and I'm still learning every day whenever I get frustrated about the politicians politicking with intelligence organizations um, on the continent. Um, I think about those professional people that are sitting there uh, doing their best to protect the country, doing their best to, to do a good job. And they are there. Um, they might not necessarily be the majority within an agency, but they are there and they're making an impact. Um, then also another positive thing is um, my experience with training analysts ranging from Senegal, Nigeria, Uganda, Ethiopia, to uh, South Africa, Botswana, and Namibia is people are hungry to learn about this profession. People want to know more. People need to learn. They want to learn. Um, and I think one of the most 
rewarding um, aspects um, in my life up till now. We, I think, you know, um, that one one always wish you had an, have an impact. Um, and that was two of my uh, former uh, trainees, you know, that I trained previously, gave me some feedback. One guy from Nigeria um, that is dealing with the Boko Haram um, um, situation in um, northwest, northeast of, of Nigeria. And he told me, the way in which you trained us helped me to better understand and better um think about this this uh, scrooge that we are facing another guy from ethiopia is saying that um, my training helped him to become the national security advisor now this is not something that i did the only thing i did was really just to open up a door or a window to a new way of thinking about life and about the work and about the world around us. Giving people tools, now we're back at the analytical toolbox, but giving people thinking tools and methodologies um, to approach a problem. So, because the minute you understand that you can approach a problem, I always use that metaphor of, of, of um, eating the elephant bit by bit. It gives you some sort of control over this big issue that you're investigating and you don't feel so overwhelmed. And I think that was uh, that for me is personally the most um, positive experience I had during my training um, environment and the seven years I had my company in the private sector. What is very positive is um, to experience um, the other kind of aha moments and this is where where people that are really well learned scholars in their own fields etc suddenly um, they get to understand what intelligence can do for them things that they never understood something as stupid as supply chain intelligence um, when you explain to them how your research and analysis can help them in ensuring that the supply chain is resilient um, and looking at alternative um, uh, providers and supplies for, for certain things. That just opens up a new way of thinking for them as well in the world. And, and I think that for me is a part of the, the process of, of um, giving intelligence impact that is wider than only an intelligence um, traditional intelligence sense. This is where you really understand intelligence is about being smart, thinking smartly and cleverly about how to deal with problems and looking at new ways of approaching old problems um, in a new way that will just make things easier and better understandable. Um, and so those are the most um, the most positive um, but from what I can say my experience the African people you know um, you might be wherever um, but African people just have a certain kind of tenacity humility um, humbleness um, willingness to full to live life to the fullest in the midst of all the shitty things that are happening around them. And that for me is, um, I've experienced this day to day when I've trained people in all difficult circumstances in Lagos and in Kampala and, uh, you know, 
places under the trees, some place in Botswana. But this is what makes it worthwhile. And we have people that are resilient, that are willing to learn. And um, that's why I'm very grateful to be in, to be blessed to be in this, um, this profession. Incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the people that you meet in this industry, I mean, some very interesting people, interesting characters, amazing backgrounds. And like you said, everyone is just, you know, open to communicating, open to connecting on a deeper level. We want to, we want to learn from each other. We want to mm -hmm. educate each other. Yes. Um, and, you know, the backgrounds are always so, so different, um, so diverse. You know, I'm even just looking at um, everyone on this podcast right now and, you know, being able to um, understand the different levels um, that each person is at and understanding that, you know, um, each person is a resource in, in their own way and being able to build mentorships and friendships and really dive deeper um, into professional and personal relationships, I think is absolutely crucial in intelligence and um, really amazing that you see that as one of the um, major, if not the major um, positive thing that you can identify um, regarding intelligence on the continent. Um, I'll, I'll ask one more question and then we'll see if Polani has any um, additional questions. But so I, I have a feeling I would know your answer to this based <laughs> on our um, off mic conversations, but with everything that you know now, um, if you were given the opportunity to start all over, um, which of the domains would you go into and, and why? Wow. <laughs> Difficult question. That's a nutcracker, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I would do it all over again. Um, national security, um, especially in the time that I was with our intelligence agency, gave me um, the exposure and the energy um, to be part of something much bigger than I am myself. Um, you know, um, I've started to work in 88. So if you know your African politics and, polit and history, um, in, so I can tell you the first day I came into the office, um, the divisional head asked me, all right, so we have Eastern African Open and Southwest Africa at that stage. Where do you want to work? What, what, you know? And I said, I, <laughs> I actually told him, oh, not much is happening in Southwest Africa, so let's make it East Africa. Um, just to, you know, um, two years later on, Namibia became independent and our intelligence agency played a big role in that. Um, so I went through the process of the democratization of Africa, um, attended um, and observed so many uh, elections um, in the countries where I was. Um, 
um, understood the people, get to, to know them, get to understand the complexity of this continent that is my home as well. Um, understanding that there are no quick or easy answers. Um, and the national security environment um, just gave me that opportunity to do things in a structured way. Um, of understanding the political risk context of our continent. Um, so my answer is actually very closely related to um, my personal history and how things. Remember in 88, 95, um, with the democratic elections here in South Africa and, the, you know, 94 and then when the um, liberation movements become a part of the new intelligence structure in South Africa, that was all fascinating to be part of that whole process, um, to see democracy um, unfold, to be part of that dem new democratic order. That was just, just, that was just fantastic. There was no private intelligence at that stage. So let's just look at where did private intelligence actually happen? Or intelligence then in the private sector, it really started to happen only after 9-11 where people and big companies realize that they are becoming the targets of these threat actors and that um, the national security and law enforcement intelligence have enough, um, more than they can handle. So, so something like um, the NIS in Nigeria can't, go and uh, provide intelligence to Shell or to BP, whatever, you know, in the Niger Delta. It's just they don't have the means. It also doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. So this is where private intelligence or intelligence in the private sector then actually um, took a foothold when more and more private companies became the target of these terrorists and all types of different actions and you and the big uh, companies then realize that they need to have a protective intelligence um, environment so actually i didn't have any choice you know um to start with national security and then go into training and then to into private intelligence because that was just the way in which intelligence go now for you that are much younger than me um again you know the question remains what is your purpose in life? What, what makes you tick? And if you, you know, if you can make it international security, by all means, go that route. Um, or if you rather be part of the private picture, do that. All of us have different strengths and weaknesses again, and so your purpose that you have to fulfill. I hope that answers your question. Yes, um, absolutely. Um, it, it does. And thank you so much for shedding more light on, you know, how private sector intelligence really came um, to be, you know, because like you said, it hasn't always been a thing. Um, it's a relatively new um, concept. And we're obviously still figuring it out. There are a lot of um, there's a lot of room to grow. There are a lot of processes that still need to be tweaked and still need to be um, fine-tuned in order to really um, get private sector intelligence to the level that it can be. Um, so that, that was, that was also um, an amazing, amazing point that you brought up there. 
Um, Polani, did you have, I guess, o- over over to you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I, I do have one parting shot, which really has to do with, you know, uh, you know, Daylin, you've had a 32-year career, you know, cumulatively speaking. And um, there is this very important aspect where you've had the opportunity to ascend to this educator or trainer sort of perspective. So, you know, um, in my view, it gives you this vantage point on some of the capacity issues, whether it's in government agencies or whether it's in the private sector. And I think that this is something that a lot of people are are having conversations back and forth because a lot of the time we see a lot of intelligence vendors which are externally located um, having mm. having exactly having this this sort of primacy with their own analysts and looking into Africa. I'm not mm-hmm. going to name drop any of these companies, um, but you know uh, it it just gives this sort of perspective that we we're not seeing private sector intelligence vendors coming primarily from an African perspective. But then we're also seeing, like you said earlier, that uh, a lot of governments are actually hiring the services of private intelligence companies, you know, and that sort of changes this whole perspective. And I say this because I know there's a lady who I spoke about, didn't ask to, didn't ask for her permission to name her specifically, but she was speaking about um, her work as part of a think tank. And, you know, that's not that's not your typical private sector intelligence sort of unit. Uh, but uh, she was speaking about how they have an advisory role with the government. And every time they had these policy briefs or reporting projects, they would try to share with the government, et cetera, et cetera. And she, she was saying that they wouldn't read, but they would read it when she put on their confidential or top secret. Uh, so which really shows this hunger uh, for this sort of information from the sort of government perspective, but then the way, you know, the sort of way in which they readily, readily receive um, this, uh, this and these kinds of products also shows that sometimes they are aware of some capacity gaps where they know that the, 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 the private sector is probably covering more aspects than they are. So I just want to hear your very, very broad or very sort of specific sort of perspective on that in terms of capacity issues, how far they span, um, especially since, you know, you've been saying that on a positive note that they do want to learn, but what are those gaps that you are actually helping them to cover? Well, this is difficult in the sense that um, I think, unfortunately, Africans uh, think that all good things come from outside of Africa. Um, so there's not sufficient um, acknowledgement of, of, um, of the capacity within our own um, continent. Also, I think the reality, the economic reality is that um, sometimes, and I'm now on a bit, um, I'm, I'm, I'm in a bit of a landmine um, environment now, but to a large degree, external interest and foreign interests are being used um, by these uh, private companies to influence African um, African governments. That is a given. 
Um, also, the fact that many times intelligence training and intelligence support is part of the package um, that um, foreign uh, governments provide as um, as uh, um, carrot uh, when we are talking about uh, mutual or beneficial kind of uh, military and political relationships. Um, so that is the reality, unfortunately. Um, you would find um, also, um, I would see more and more people from Africa going um, for master's degree degrees in, in American and UK um, universities. Um, while it would have been nice to have the same kind of capacity here in, 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 in our own continent. You and I have talked about this previously. So I think in terms of capacity, so if, if I just throw away all these other political factors that plays a role, um, I think definitely there is a capacity in Africa to do our own intelligence analysis. Um, I think they are just the same as within the U.S. Remember, I, I had some experience of training in the U.S. as well. Um, there is a lot of ignorance in South Africa or arrogance. Here in Africa, it's more ignorance. Does that make sense? And you actually come to the same kind of conclusion in terms of, but listen, guys, intelligence analysis is really a mindset of understanding issues and have tools available to look at um, problems in a specific way. Um, and what I found is that um, th there's not a capacity issue, uh, but it's more a political willingness uh, um, across the um, senior government and intelligence officials. Um, it's also a question of see how much we can get out of a foreign country in terms of intelligence training, but that really never becomes um, a proper capacity uh, forming a process, but it becomes um, intelligence collection um, uh, effort. And that also is not beneficial to intelligence training as such. Um, so again, coming back to the positives, yes. African professional um, officers are able to learn how to even use the most sophisticated um, electronic um, programs and analytical tools that if they would have the same kind of, um, if they would have sufficient time to do that um, and support um, because it is a different mindset. Um, but I think it is possible to do that kind of capacity building in Africa. Oh, well, uh, you know, um, I actually think that, you know, everything which you said kind of ties in very, very neatly, um, especially because there's this, there's this looming sort of figure of that, um, I guess it's, I guess it's mo mainly sort of motivated about, uh, you know, as you said, this whole economic angle, which uh, comes into it an economic development, et cetera, et cetera. And this aid, uh, this like foreign aid vis-a-vis -vis dependency aspect, which also feeds into it. So uh, maybe it's also fed into our perspectives that, you know, that some of these shortcomings from a, from a, from a, a sort of intelligence perspective are actually 
uh, uh, these huge capacity issues, but I think you've put it very, very, very well um, that, uh, you know, that everything is sort of interlinked and that actually the, the whole issue is political willingness. It's not always an easy conversation to have, but uh, um, of course, having a conversation like this is is uh, in some ways unprecedented. You know, uh, going out onto media and, and saying that we are going to have a podcast, especially considering the kind of sensitivity that we tag along to the word to the word intelligence, um, and you know. Uh, as you all know, previously in South Africa, um, sort of intelligence analysts were being referred to as spies for hire. And how would you say that, you know, the sort of environment is right now, especially publicly speaking to people knowing about your your sort of line of uh, interest, especially in terms of sort of career focus? Is it still regarded as sensitively? And also this this question applies to you too, Boki. I don't know what it's like in Nigeria to say, I'm an intelligence analyst. Does that make everybody extremely suspicious of you? Do they adopt this sort of James Bond <laughs> expectation to you? Um, I'll, I'll let Daylene go first. <laughs> um, then I'll... <laughs> um, I will so add, now no one wants to add my yeah. Yeah. You know, it really depends on with whom you're talking to. Um and that, again, is why I prefer nowadays using the word security risk intelligence analyst, um, because everyone understands risk. Um, and risk is, is, is uh, globally valued as a proper function within every organization. Um, so security risk intelligence analysis um, is, uh, um, is not a it's not well known. It's actually a, a new term that I've coined now with my thesis because I wanted to get a, a, um, a encompassing um, a term for the work, the type of work that we do in private um, intelligence. Um, are people in South Africa um, willing to to listen to me? No, but I don't think it's because I'm a private sector intelligence analyst. It's because of other reasons might be, you know, um, we have a very politically charged um, um, kind of environment. Um, but I think more and more you would, in, in the end, it is your deliverable and your integrity um, that is your hallmark um, as an intelligence analyst. Um, if people, whoever, wherever they are, if they understand that um, you're apolitical, you have a specific political view, but you are very critical towards yourself as well, um, and that you are looking at not only political risk, but all the other types of cyber risk, um, physical security, criminal risk, reputational risk, all those issues, then it's a bit more understandable. But to tell you the truth, so when I did my Viva, uh, for my thesis in December, it was actually the very first time that my brother and my mother understood what I'm doing. <laughs> um, so yes, it is still a, a large and largely unknown kind of um, uh, occupation. Um, and unfortunately, because of intelligence not having a good um, history, especially in South Africa and our recent history with regard to the um, using of the intelligence agency for personal um, uh, purposes of individual politicians. Yeah, I don't 
say I'm an intelligence analyst, um, I would rather say I'm a, priv- I'm a security risk analyst and then let them make what if, you know, of it what they want to. Bookie, what's your experience? <laughs> <laughs> um, so honestly, it's very, it's very similar. And um, like you said, wording is very important. Um, one, a lot of people don't even know, except you're in the security field. Most people don't even know what, if you say risk analyst or intelligence analyst, you know, people don't even exactly know what that means or what you do. Um, so sometimes, sometimes it's helpful. Um, um, but really the way you phrase it, excuse me, is it's, it's very important. So I've seen people say, oh, I'm an information analyst, or you say you're a security analyst, you're a risk analyst, because that word intelligence um, definitely has some um, connotations to it, um, where people feel like you're dealing with, um, you know, sensitive information or classified information. There's, there has to be some sort of espionage or spying or something going on there, um, you know, and a lot of times that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes it is just depending on um, what exactly you do within the Intel sector. Um, but I, I have seen that for people um, who understand what you do, there is that sort of, um, like you said, James, James Bond expectation where, you know, you are um, really in the... In, in the dirt to say, you, or so to say, you know, you're really dealing with very sensitive information. You're, um, you know, spying on some sort of government, uh, you know, collecting information about a certain person or a certain thing. Um, so you, you do have to be careful um, a lot of the time, the way you phrase what it is that you do um, in the Intel mm-hmm. sector. So, or the way you phrase your title within the Intel sector. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, very interesting. I mean, I guess probably this question is motivated by the fact that, um, say, for example, from the Zimbabwean context, um, the main uh, uh, sort of intelligence uh, entity that's there is the Central Intelligence Organization. So I think a lot of people, they only hear the word intelligence within that context. And so when you say intelligence analyst or, you know, even if you say security intelligence analyst, might actually make it worse. <laughs> you say, <Yeah. laughs> yeah. so um, they tag it by association with that organization. That means you're, you know, uh, you represent the this whole aspect of the state, and then of and then of course people are actually conflating concepts between operatives and between analysts Mm -hmm. and uh, so they don't understand that even if you work for the government and you're an analyst you're not out there doing (laughs) this covert operation (laughs) or black ops but uh, I think that it's something that is heavier in a lot of African countries when you say the word intelligence especially because when we go to a lot of countries um, where that aspect of politicization, like you were saying earlier, Daleen, that, uh, you know, it really feeds into it and the role of intelligence when election results are contested or when there's a sort of a political altercation between uh, huge players within that sort of uh, future of a country. So 
uh, I guess in that sense, the word has really become uh, very, very sensitive um, because a lot of countries uh, have these very volatile sort of security contexts where the role of intelligence isn't really being experienced from the private sector angle mm-hmm. as much as it is being referred to within the government and state-focused interest. But uh, yeah, all in all, uh, it's been very, very wonderful to sort of have this uh, beginning of an open interaction with you. Uh, I know for a fact that this is just the beginning. Uh, there's definitely a lot more issues left to sort of- But it has been um, absolutely delightful um, speaking with you and really, um, taking apart these these um, issues and topics within um, intelligence in Africa.